Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Much Ado About Nothing. I hope to see you one day fitted with a husband. <laughs> Not till God make men of some other metal than earth. I want you to get together. It is certain I am loved of all ladies. For truly, I, I love none. Dear happiness to women. Oh, God, sir. I cannot endure my lady tongue. There is a kind of merry war betwixt Signor Benedict and her. They never meet, but there's a skirmish of wit between them. If you three will minister assistance, I will bring Signor Benedict and the Lady Beatrice into a mountain of affection. <laughs> By this day, she's a fair lady. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, David Edelstein from New York Mag, and tonight's guest, Josh Whedon. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome. Um, I guess you guys know that by this time that the Whedonverse is large and contains multitudes. So we're gonna do a lot of talk about Shakespeare this afternoon and then we may uh, segue into some other things and I'm sure you'll have other questions too. Um, the film uh, comes out of your experience, Joss, with um, doing a lot of Shakespeare, with being sort of comfortable with Shakespeare. You actually, I read, would have people over, people in your kind of surrogate family, the, the, um, to just read Shakespeare for fun. Can you, for fun and, and edification, and can you tell us a little about why, I've always dreamed of doing that in my house and uh, with my friends. How did you get started doing it and, and what has Shakespeare kind of meant to you? Um, uh, we, we used to do it uh, when I was a kid. My mom would do it. She had a lot of friends who were either actors or just, you know, English teachers, enthusiasts, just, or just, just game. And, um, and then gradually the kids got uh, um, sort of involved. We got, we got some parts ourselves. And uh, so we were always just around it. And then when we were about, about 10 years ago, we were doing Buffy and sort of thought, there's a lot of us out there that loved this and don't get to flex that muscle anymore. And so let's just sort of dive in. And we thought maybe we'd do it once or twice. And then it really became a staple at least maybe once or twice a month. Everyone would come over, there'd be snacks. I think it was the snacks, actually, more than the Shakespeare, because I can really bring it. Yeah. Well, so, uh, who did, who was Sarah Michelle Gellar playing, for example? Who did she, 
Alison Hannigan, what were, what were their favorite Shakespeare roles? What was it like to watch them? You know, movie? I actually didn't get them except once. Allie wasn't as comfortable doing the Shakespeare, um, but uh, nor was my wife, except once my wife said, okay, I want to do one thing. I want to do Merry Wives of Windsor, and Allie has to do it with me. And um, uh, that was the first Shakespeare Kai had really seen because we saw it on our honeymoon in London. And the first she had seen that wasn't, you know, terrible high school Shakespeare. And some high school Shakespeare is very wonderful, but there is the other kind. Um, and I like to think that, that Much Ado About Nothing is some of the finest high school Shakespeare really ever committed to film. Um, but, uh, you know, not just the actors, but the writers and, and friends, um, anyone who was interested could come. It was very clear. We tried to keep it egalitarian. Somebody would, you know, they were Othello one week, they'd carry a spear the week after that. You didn't want to, you wanted to change it up. Um, and, uh, and when somebody fell out at the last minute and a really good part turned up, well, that was okay for me. Um, but uh, it became clear uh, that, you know, Amy, and Alexis were kind of the, you know, the home run hitters. Amy Acker and Alexis Dennis, Denisoff, 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 yes. Who, uh, when they read Beatrice and Benedict, a long while ago made me go, at some point I have to figure out how to film this. So, well, what were the, sh what were the plays that kind of you hit out of the park? And was Much Ado, did that sort of loom larger than any of the others? Um, it, uh, it, that was a really fun one because they killed it, everybody killed it, and um, uh, I had written the music for the songs and brought a, a friend of ours, uh, Angie Hart, who's a wonderful singer, um, was playing Balthasar, and I brought her, her husband, and my brother Sam early, taught them the songs, and so when they said, Balthasar, sing us a song, they actually whipped out a guitar and a mandolin, and she sang them, and nobody saw that coming, so it was really fun. Every time we could add a little juice like that, it's really, it was really fun. Um, but generally, there were, there were a couple, we did Midsummer a couple of times, it was amazing. Othello was, I mean, there were a bunch. And I finally got to do Hamlet. Why? Because it's my house. <laughs> you did this al fresco in your living room? What was the living room, out back if it was nice, you know, wherever it felt right. No audience? Just you guys Never. Fun? Nobody was ever allowed to be there who didn't read. Except once James Marster's father. The only person we ever had who, if you, one, you had one line, that was fine, but you had to read something. That rule and no casting directors. Because I actually had a couple come and say, I'm hearing about this, I'd love to come and say, I'm like, no, 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 this is the opposite of what we're doing here. Well, so before we talk about the movie more specifically, can you talk about how um, your familiarity with Shakespeare, did it, did it kind of percolate down through, I hate to keep saying the Whedon verse, but we all, we all love the Whedon verse, or we wouldn't be here. Uh, did it did it percolate down the, the effect of these plays, the um, the, the language, the, the kind of um, narrative daring, um, have connect to your other work at all over the years? I, you can't get away from the influence of the greatest writer in your language. It's gonna it's gonna show up, and um, you know, I, for me particularly, it's about rhythm. Um, I, I would say, you know, I look at Shakespeare and I look at the Coen brothers and I go, God damn it, you can put words in the wrong order and it works better. And that makes me mad, because I do it and it's just very obvious that I did it. Um, but finding the musicality of rhythm 
um, in a sentence, finding the words that not only embody what it is you're trying, but sound, you know, the sound of them evokes what you're trying to do. Words that are almost visual. That um, is, uh, is something that, you know, is so much in him. And, 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 uh, and yeah, not, not subtle. I mean, he, the, the, the incredible texture of humanity that he finds, it's amazing. But he'll go all the way, all the time, the broadest, the silliest, the meanest, the most tragic. Like, he wears it on his sleeve, and I, that, I, that I love. You were talking about language a little bit, and you have to say, when I, when I hear you talking about, we know Shakespeare coins so many, so many words, and, and his syntax was so fascinating. You, in fact, are responsible for creating uh, your own uh, patois, if you'll pardon my French. I think a little bit, but you look at the body of his work, I mean, uh, this is a number that I read in a book, so it could be wrong, that he used something like 17,000 words and made up 10% of them. He's, I'm, I, I add Y's to the end of sentences and think that I'm Shakespeare-y. But I don't think there's really a comparison. I definitely, you know, I definitely... I, I, I love his daring, and I love the fact that he respects language, but also mutates it. Um, that, for me, is very exciting. If, if the thing is coming across in a way that you haven't heard, but that feels familiar, um, that's really important, especially if you're writing fantasy or science fiction. When something doesn't work, when something grates on the ear, um, it's really terrible. You have to find that thing that... Uh, you know, that, that phrase, that sentence, that word for something that you know what it means, but it doesn't, but you've never heard it before. It's, it's, uh, that's a very delicate art. And a lot of the stuff that I did in Firefly was, you know, very Elizabethan. I mean, I took from everything from, you know, 40s talk to Westerns, all the way back to him, and probably a little Chaucer in there too. And it's what makes the difference between a kind of flat scene you've seen before and something that really is transcendent. Well, it's, if it works, yes. Uh, you have to be careful. Um, I actually wrote a line in the comic book where Xander is, you know, trying, beating that guy, and at some point Dante says, you know, sometimes you can just say the thing you're saying. And I think it's very easy to get, fall in love with your tricks and sort of go, oh, wait a minute, no human has ever spoken that way, and we're falling out of the emotion of the scene. So it's a fine line. Well, George Bernard Shaw said that of Shakespeare, too, complained about that of Shakespeare. Uh, much Ado, you shot, uh, I read, in the middle of shooting Avengers. You just, ra you just wrapped on the Avengers. You had this big... Uh, mess on your hand kind of narratively you needed to try to put the story together and you went and you shot uh, what was it like a palate cleanser what you 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 decided uh, on the spur of the moment to get people together and do this it, it was fairly spurry it was um, uh, uh, right before I finished Avengers my wife and I had started this micro budget studio bellwether so that we could do things like Much Ado, but hadn't really... She was working on another project, uh, and she just said, I, I, you know, we're supposed to go on vacation in a month, and I think you should, you should make this movie instead. You've been talking about it for years. I've got the crew. You've got the cast. I built a house. You know, um, she, made it, she made it almost impossible to say no. Um, and so, you know, once I looked at the text and really thought, oh, no, now I know what the movie is, um, it, uh, yeah, it just seemed like a really good idea to me... Um, I think it, you know, 
I think there's something horribly wrong with me, but I really honor my wife for knowing that and for, you know, and for knowing that I would come back from it more relaxed than I have ever come back from any vacation. And you, you had these two actors. You had Amy Actor, Acker and you had Alexis. No, let's call her Amy Actor. <laughs> this is, by the way, uh, when you see the film, or if you have already, you know this is really a breakthrough performance. She is absolutely radiant. Um, she just, re that face just reads. And um, can you tell us time. about her and about him and uh, about her, really? <laughs> um, you know, I... Besides the fact that they've been dear friends of mine since I met them, the, Amy Acker is somebody that the moment she walked in the room, I, I was actually handing her, her um, headshot to Marty Noxon, and she walked in the room and it flew out of my hand and hit Marty Noxon in the face. <laughs> um, the popular version of the story is that I turned into Jerry Lewis. Um, I like to think that I turned into Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in the scene where he keeps dropping his hat, but needless to say, I was dorked out. And um, that's never gone away in the 10 years, maybe plus, that I've known her. She just has, besides being lovely, this just extraordinarily radiant quality and a very extraordinary precision as an actress. And that's, you know, I think people forget because she is so delightful. They forget how much is going on behind everything she's doing. One of the interesting things about this film when you see it is your use of close-ups. Now a lot of directors, you know, really honored Shakespearean directors tend to give you the proscenium arch when they shoot Shakespeare. And it seems to me you made a decision very early on that you were going to forget, in some ways, it was a theatrical piece. You were going to get inside, you were going to do shot, counter shot. Can you tell a little bit about translating Shakespeare into f sort of film language? Well, the weird thing is about that is that my instinct is usually the opposite. Where I see filmmakers going in for close-ups, I would rather stay wide and let everybody sort of pull the frame around and make it theirs. Um, in something like this, there were two things at work. One of them was simply um, the amount of time that we had. Uh, you know, we, twelve days. You said twelve big days to shoot this puppy, and um, and so we had three cameras going whenever we could, and two almost always, um, just to be sure that we were getting you know the best moment from everyone. So there were times like there's the courtyard scene where he and she, where the two of them first talk where that one take was the best, you know, despite the fact that we had two other hidden cameras going at the same time. And it's nice when it can flow like that. But I didn't want to sort of be obnoxiously theatrical about it. I wanted to capture the essence of, of the, the, the immediacy of theater, and weirdly enough, by stepping away from theater, um, by going in and saying, okay, we're just at the party. We're not, uh, we're not watching it, we're there. And so it, it sort of it caused a reversed effect. The, the less theatrical I got, the more the, the, what was great about theater came through. Was um, Robert Altman at all an influence? Because I, I almost found it was more Altman-esque than most Shakespeare. I'm just going to take that and run with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's not like I, I didn't think to myself, I should make something the way Robert Altman would. Um, but... Uh, but goddamn, I'm really pleased if you think I did, because I've seen pretty much everything. He can't not be an influence. 
Well, he, he has a much more casual uh, attitude about dialogue, whereas I think you were somewhat more beholden. You did the adaptation yourself. How much did you cut? I was surprised that you kept a lot of the poetry in there. Well, I mean, I cut probably a third of the play, if not more. It's a long, long play, which most people, nobody knows because it's usually cut, you know, before anybody sees it. And I knew we, we didn't have time to shoot anything that we weren't going to use. Um, and also, when you're adapting it, what you cut out is part of the story you're telling. So um, I also dropped at least one character and combined a couple of others. Um, Antonio, Leonardo's brother. It's very important for me to get into the heart of every character, and I couldn't find his. I'm like, buddy, you seem like exposition with a hat. So <laughs> you're out of here. Um, and uh, I didn't miss him. And then I you know, created the character of Leonardo's aide out of a couple of messengers and Balthazar, and just because I wanted somebody who was always with Leonardo to sort of just be a visual reminder of Leonardo's power that he was, you know, always attended. This is one of the few um, films that you've made that's kind of self-contained. You have shown a kind of preference for, for the long-form narrative, for storytelling, for bringing in you know, having kind of, kind of uh, something, uh, stories continued and characters evolving over multiple television episodes, multiple years. Even the Avengers, of course, used the backstories and relationships already established. Um, do you prefer the long, the sort of the long form of television to the self-contained world of movies? I prefer things about it. There is definitely something really personal and novelistic about the way you can get into a character and just keep unearthing more and more and more about them and, um, and subverting them and learning about them. And it's also a wonderful way to create a dialogue with an actor. The most obvious example being um, Amy Acker played the role of Fred on Angel. We did a reading of Romeo and Juliet where she played Lady Capulet. And for the first time ever, I saw her turn off the Acker. I saw her not be charming. I saw the coldness, and I was like, I'm gonna kill Fred! <laughs> this is awesome! And um, because at the time I was an old-timey prospector. <laughs> hey, we're gonna make some angels. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> Demons. Um, but, um, uh, but he keeps coming back, the old-timey prospector. Um, he harrows up my very soul. But if you're, if you're doing a show over a long period of time and you're with an actor and you're just having them do the same thing over and over, it's, it's, it's deadening for them. It's deadening for me as a writer. And to be able to have that back and forth and realize, oh, Tony Head can sing. Well, let's see what we can do with that. You know, I was very angry when I found out that Jillian, who plays Hero, could juggle after we shot the party scene. Not sure I'm, she's coming back from that one. You, you, what you can tell even from something like The Avengers is you really love actors. Are you a bit of a stage door Johnny? I know you said you were kind of dorking out when Amy Acker first walked in the room. Well, that didn't, she hadn't acted yet. <laughs> um, uh, I do, you know, I, I obviously acted in school and, and I, you know, I'm a wannabe in a huge way, which I think is useful as a writer and a director, because as a writer, 
when you're saying, when you're writing something, you're saying it. And that means if it doesn't fit in the human mouth, you're gonna at some point figure that out, the rhythms of the thing. You, if you can't sell it and you wrote it, then you know nobody else can. Um, and as a director, you just appreciate the, uh, and I, did, I appreciated this a lot more after we did the Shakespeare readings, the kind of concentration that they're bringing. I mean, everybody always says, oh, acting, that's an easy job. And yes, it is not ditch digging, but there is an enormous vulnerability and an enormous concentration and, and very hard work that goes into, into acting. And, um, you know, none of the people in this cast, which is all made of people that I took away, are in any way lazy or in any way coasting on what they can do. Every single one of them is trying to be better and is bringing their best every single day. And that's something that I not only respect, I adore. The last question I'm gonna ask about Much Ado has to do with Nathan Fillion, who most of people know as the uh, star of Firefly and uh, Serenity, the film. Um, he never he, did anything after that. <laughs> <laughs> He's mine, all mine. Uh, an extraordinary actor, but doing something here, he plays the, the comic, uh, kind of the comic relief, the um, idiot constable Dogberry, who I've seen many times, who is usually very kind of hammy and extroverted. He, uh, this sounds anachronistic, but he's given to malapropisms. Mrs. Malaprop came much later. But, um, uh, but the key to the performance is he underplays everything, and he's the funniest Dogberry I've ever seen. Tell me about his characterization and also working with him, because he's quite extraordinary. Ah, uh, such a diva. <laughs> um, you know, there's n he and Alexis are basically my role models, um, and for two very different reasons. Alexis is very much a seeker. He's somebody who is always striving, you know, to be a better man. Nathan is just Canadian. He's fine. He's great. <laughs> he's just like, no, I'm good. But he is. He's the most polite, most dedicated, most humble, and, um, and hilarious. With this, um, he did something that uh, I've never seen him do before, which I was, was really adorable, is he desperately tried to get out of it. <laughs> um, and part of that was his castle uh, schedule was a nightmare. Um, but part of it was he had never, you know, the only Shakespeare he'd ever done was in my backyard. And he just, he did not think he could do it, which um, is, when you see the film, just hilarious. Because he, he does, he closes the book on Dogberry in a way that is, is really hard to, um, hard to imagine. And, and I knew exactly what I wanted, and so did he, and it was something he's very good at. We basically played all the constable stuff as, as SVU. <laughs> that was it. Um, even to the point where, um, you know, we wanted the interrogation room, and when he says, you know, they are both in a tale, basically he's, it's like he's talking to the ADA. I mean, we, we, we were very specific about that. And, um, and when uh, Spencer Treat Clark, who plays um, Baraccio, I said to him, look, when you're being interrogated, I want you to imagine you're being interrogated by Chris Maloney on SVU, and Spencer said, I've been interrogated by Chris Maloney on SVU twice. <laughs> okay, you're good. We'll rehearse another scene. Let the watch come forth. Masters, I charge you in the prince's name. Accuse these men. 
This man said, sir, that Don John, the prince's brother, was a villain. Write down, Prince John, a villain. Why, that's flat perjury to call a prince's brother villain. Master Constable. Brandy fellow, peace. I do not like that look, I promise thee. What heard you him say else? Mary, that he had received a thousand ducats of Don John for accusing the lady hero wrongfully. Flat burglary as ever was committed. Yeah, by mass, that it is! What else, fellows? And that Count Claudio did mean, upon his words, to disgrace Hero before the whole assembly and not marry her. Oh, villain. Thou will be condemned to everlasting redemption for this. What else? This is all. And this is more, masters, than you can deny. Prince John is this morning secretly stolen away. Heroes in this manner accused, in this very manner refused, and upon this grief suddenly died. Master Constable, let these men be bound and brought to Leonardo. I will go before and show him their examination. Come, let them be opinioned. Let them be in the hands. Oh, my life! Where's the sexton? Let her write down the prince's officer, Coxcomb. Come, bind them. Thou naughty varlet. You are an ass. Does thou not suspect my place? Does thou not suspect my years? Oh, that she were here to write me down an ass. But, masters, remember that I am an ass, though it be not written down, yet forget not that I am an ass. No, thou villain, thou art full of piety! I shall be proved upon thee by good witness! I am a wise fellow, and which is more, an officer, and which is more, a householder, and which is more, as pretty a piece of flesh as any is in Messina. And one that knows the law, go to, and a rich fellow enough go to, and one that hath had losses, and one that hath two gowns and everything handsome about it. Oh, that I would write down in peace. Yeah, I, 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 if, if any of you have suffered through um, comic relief in Shakespeare that wasn't funny, I think you'll really appreciate these scenes. Uh, you're now, uh, you have a new surrogate family right now. You have a, is that your, primarily what you're doing now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is this your, your world at the moment? That has been my world. I'm about to, uh, where right now my world is uh, telling people to go see Much Ado About Nothing. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, I've been working on S.H.I.E.L.D. pretty much all year and, and have finished the pilot and the writer's room is up and running and uh, start shooting episodes in... June, good God. Um, but uh, I'm about to sort of slide into a very uh, grandfatherly position on that one because I'm supposed to make this other movie. I'm sorry, I, I don't, can't know what you're referring to. Much Ado About Nothing Else. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Because has, there has to be a sequel. Well, yeah. Yes. Um, so one last question about Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., then we'll open it up. The um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
Um, is the mythology of these characters, has it been well established? I'm not a, a comic scholar, but or did you create this out of whole cloth, these characters? Um, the characters we created out of whole cloth. Um, I wrote it with Jed and Marissa. Um, Agent Coulson is obviously Agent Coulson. The Marvel Universe is the Marvel He's Cinematic. He's back from the dead, presumably? Or is this pre? No, this is not pre. This is post. This is post. How, you say? <laughs> Tune in, Tuesdays at 8. Um, what is shame? Um, uh, he, uh, um, yeah, he's back. We'll explain that. And then everybody else in the sort of situation, you know, we created ourselves. But the universe uh, will be a mix of things we're culling from what's already in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, some stuff from the comic book universe that has been utilized. Um, hopefully it will be a seamless blend because what we don't want to do is turn it into an Easter egg farm. We want it to be its own show where if you've never seen a Marvel movie, you can love these people. And I love these people and I love Coulson in particular because they represent the side that is always so important to me. It's like, in a world of superheroes, what is it like when you're not one? And, you know, the Avengers sort of changed things in the Marvel world because now everybody knows. There's no secrets anymore. And so that, that expands the sort of possibilities for what's going on in the world and, you know, and what S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to need to do about it. So that's sort of where we'll be. And also you were in a position with the Avengers of having money just thrown at you, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, and now you're presumably on a more constricted budget. Has that been an oh, issue? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, episode one is amazing, and episode two, they have tea. <laughs> it's really good tea. What is that called, um, a bottle show? Is that the... Yeah, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll do the bottle show second. No, oh, you know, we, it's always, there's, there's always that tension. There's not enough money, there's not enough time. If the characters work, if the actors are getting it done, if the writers are getting it done, if the stories are compelling and well-structured, then it doesn't actually matter. You know, it does, you won't go, wow, I, I had hoped to see more explosions. That's never going to happen. Um, if you have the story and you, ha and you know how to convey it, nothing else matters. And if you don't, nothing else matters. Let's open it up to you guys. Questions? I just want to say, Mr. Whedon, I've been a huge fan of yours since watching Buffy in high school. It's like you've done a lot of incredible things. My question is, uh, will we see more of Thanos in Avengers 2? Um, I think he might be around. <laughs> he, he didn't get stabbed, and apparently that doesn't even stop people. Um, how much, I cannot say. You're a writer. Could you, like, I guess say a little bit about your inspiration with that, your, what it means to you, everything you do? Um, if, if what we're saying as storytellers doesn't reflect what the audience is feeling, then we're blowing it. Um, I, I definitely think there's a, um, a moment, and believe, believe it or not, that moment was Alien Resurrection, where I went from being a yarn spinner to being a storyteller, where I went, oh, this idea of what she's going through, this you know, beautiful woman who feels less than human, um, that's something that you know, a lot of people are going through with their identities. And I also was like, okay, I have to bring ba somebody back from the dead. Um, that's gotta be weird. That's get, probably gonna feel pretty weird for the audience, so it probably should for her. And those connections, but particularly 
That scene, a scene between um, Ripley and Call, or Call says, look at me, I'm disgusting. And she's Winona Ryder. I'm like, okay, that to me, sort of the tumblers went click, click, click. And that was right when I was creating Buffy um, that I wrote that. And uh, it became clear, okay, this metaphor, high school is horrible, that's a horror movie, and then that's it. And I, I look back at, uh, you know, I look back at the people who influenced me and, and they were all doing that. I just, I never actually studied writing. I did, did a lot of literature courses, but I never took a writing class or anything like that. So there's a lot of obvious things that came to me kind of late. Um, but, uh, you know, I look at um, Shakespeare in particular, Much Ado About Nothing, I believe that he's deconstructing the romantic comedy while he's creating it. I mean, this really is the mother of all romantic comedies, and yet while he's in the course of the film, he's basically pulling apart the very idea of romance. Um, I look at particularly at Sondheim, whose songs are always not just um, the idea, but the reason behind the song. He'll sort of get into why anybody needs to hear this song or what this really, what it means beyond just, hey, I'm in love, and, and just who that character is. And, and to be able to play and, and to connect with the audience as viscerally as possible, but also to sort of look at the form and say, well, why this? If, you're, if I'm gonna write a mystery, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wanna at some point ask the question, why are we writing mysteries? And the most obvious version of that, obviously, is The Cabin in the Woods, which is, you know, where I've just stopped pretending and just said, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? Oh, and here's a unicorn. Can, can I just quickly ask, if you, did your experience on Ripley then translate into you knowing that at some point Buffy was going to come back from the dead and have to confront the idea of having been dead for as long as she did and resolve herself to that? No, but I think I was less afraid of it when it came up. I mean, you do something like that, and the first thing you say, ah, hook, don't want to do that again. Um, and then, yeah. and after I, you know, after I did Serenity, I said, ah, introducing all these characters, and they've already been introduced in something else, and there's so many of them, and then they have to get together and do, I'll never do that again. And then, the whole time I'm writing Avengers, I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm like a goldfish. Hi, Joss. Um, I'm wondering what your creative process is for writing. Is it like, do you visualize things in your head before you start writing? Do you work better by yourself or collaborate with people? Um, um, most of the, I mean, to be in a good writer's room is a great joy when you're all, when you're really firing and it's bouncing in between all of you, it's like playing hacky sack, which is another great joy. Um, and, uh, um, but ultimately my favorite times have been when I'm alone, uh, which is both beautiful and sad. And um, for me, you, it, it's all happening before I write down a word. I'm creating the entire thing, I'm, it's going in my head. I tend not to sit at all until the scene is almost completely written. And then sometimes I'll be writing it and it'll start to further itself as I'm going. But uh, yeah, most of the work is done by pacing. If I don't have the right pacing space, I'm in a lot of trouble. Uh, Joss, I just want to say thank you very much for everything. Um, I have two questions that are really quick. One is um, you have an amazing Rolodex of actors that you always use. Is there any actor that you've always wanted to use that uh, you haven't yet? And the second thing is, uh, if you need a PA for The Avengers 2, I am by the phone. Please call me. Thank you. 
Um, you know, the, honestly, there's, there are a few actors you go, oh, I'd love, me and Daniel Day-Lewis would get along so well. I mean, you, you know, um, there's, you know, there's a slew of them, but uh, I don't, I don't sort of, that's not my MO exactly. I, I can't even create for the people I love. When I'm creating something that it is itself, and then later on I go, oh, you know, maybe this, uh, this person could play it. Um, so I don't really, it's not like a wish list. I have, I mean, I could do what Woody Allen did with September and refilm this entire thing with a different cast um, because I know so many people who are unbelievably talented and so many of them who uh, are not in this. Um, but uh, I'm not going to because that's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I have so many great people to draw from. It's just a question of when will I work with them again. You, you hit it out of the park with Mark Ruffalo. Uh, was, that, was that your casting? Was that, um, and uh, what do you think of him as a performer? Um, he's stunning. I adore that guy. And uh, he's, I mean, he, he's incapable of being forced or unnatural. He's the sweetest guy in the world. I thought of him for the, for, to play Banner, and I thought, there's no way Marvel's going to go for this. And it turns out they had already wanted him, that he had been on their list from the start. So I was shocked and delighted. And, and, but he's, you know, he's such a, he's an everyman. I mean, he really just has this sort of low-key naturalism that just pops in a way that it's hard to explain. And that's who he is in conversation. The first time we talked about, I flew here to talk to him about, um, um, about playing the part, and we talked about rage, and we talked about the meaning of it, and different experiences, and you know what what can make us, you know what makes us Hulk out. Uh, we both had the same answer: our daughters, um, and uh, and just how it would manifest physically, and all, all this different stuff. What we thought of the old ones, and um, we talked, yeah, you know, we talked for like you know over lunch, a couple of hours, and then. Um, walked around a little bit, and I got back to my hotel. All these frantic emails from Marvel, they're like, what, 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 what's going on? What happened? I'm like, I told you I'd call you when I got back. They're like, it's been four hours. I was like, oh, I, don't, I was busy with my man crush, so I, did, I didn't notice. Um, he just, he's just phenomenal. He and, and Clark, you know, are just, they're both the kind of people that you just feel like you knew them growing up. Clark, Clark Gregg. And speaking of Clark Gregg, um, as somebody who's been carrying around a Colson Lives button on my bag for a year now, <laughs> I just wanted to thank you for your part in bringing him back to life. Um, you're going to be spending so much time with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., with Avengers 2, and this is great, but what does that mean to say a follow-up to Dr. Horrible or another Shakespeare or some of these other smaller projects that you've been wanting to do? It means they get the shaft. Um, it, you know, I, it means they, they get pushed to the unforeseeable future. Um, taking on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I perhaps didn't do all the math, and I actually had outs in my contract for Avengers to do the smaller stuff, all of the time of which I used up on, um, on S.H.I.E.L.D., nice going. Hopefully S.H.I.E.L.D. will be wonderful and people will forgive me, but, uh, you know, I didn't realize I was making a trade-off, and I might have done some, something differently, but then if I had, you might not have a living Coulson. So, you never know. Uh, I, 
I just say thank you. Uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog it seems to be what, like the work that stands out in my head as, as one of your defining tragedies. Uh, and if, if it's a very Aristotelian kind of structure, did you go in writing knowing you wanted to write that kind of story? Did it become that as you were writing it? It became that. Um, I knew that I wanted to tell his story, and it evolved. It was First, it was the, just the idea of doing um, a sort of podcast diary, and then it was this fictionalized, even more fictionalized, and it was Dr. Horrible, then it was, oh, there's a strike, maybe we could do this with you know, actual live people, and then I think it was, you know, Zach who said, you know, we should, the ending should feel sad. I'm like, yeah, let's kill Penny! <laughs> and he was like, I, I meant like sort of bittersweet. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't know what, what is sweet. Um, and as soon as I said it to me, it became an inevitability. It became like, oh, no, that actually, everything in it is leading towards that because everything he's doing wrong in his life and in his mode of thinking is going to lead to that. Um, so it, uh, sometimes these things lay themselves out and sometimes you find something and realize they've been laying themselves out. Um, and this was one of those times. Hi, um, I mean this in a totally nice way, but um, <laughs> do you ever get tired of like being clever? And if so, how did the Shakespearean form of comedy, uh, working on this, like how did that melt with your sense of humor and the text? Did you ever feel stretched? And in other times, did you feel like, oh, I totally get this, like I love this kind of joke? I clever always. I'm so, I, words good. Me all the time. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Clever though I am, what you mean. But, um, uh, you know, I, the thing I love is, and particularly about this text, is that no matter how witty people are, how articulate they are um, about what's going on, they usually have no idea what's actually going on with them. And that, to me, I mean, some of the most beautiful writing is about non-communication. Non That's hard for me. I, I tend to write people who stand up and go, hey, I'm this guy exactly. Shakespeare does that with his villains very well. Um, I tend to do it with everyone. I'm the best garbage man ever, and here's why. I disagree with you. I mean, everybody's like the debate team. Um, you know, I think I suffer um, from that problem. Possibly Aaron Sorkin suffers from the similar problem. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge fan, but we both have that desire to write, to articulate something with people and for them to really shine. Um, but sometimes you watch things. But what I love about Shakespeare is you watch it and they can do that. And at the same time, you're just watching them crumble. You're watching them have no idea uh, what's really going on. So, you know, whether or not people are clever, they're still going to suffer. They're still not going to get it, and somebody's going to die. It, it seems still to not me in this. I can't stress that enough. It seems. Don't give anything away. It seems to me that that you've learned um, to be clever on the surface, and yet have the sort of tragic subtext bubble up from below, and that that's happened to your work gradually. That you've learned to do that. Well, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I don't know, I, 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 I do love the hyper-articulation, but more and more I am more interested in, in the way we, we start to 
to misunderstand, and, and, and it does. I do remember just in uh, Objects in Space, uh, when I was doing Firefly, just I had a little moment where somebody says something and he, and he mishears him. Or he says, are you Alliance? And he says, am I a lion? I don't think of myself as a lion. You may as well, though. I have a mighty roar. And then he says, no, I said Alliance. He's like, oh. And it was a weird little breakthrough for me. I was like, oh my God, language is so much more interesting when people don't know how they're using it. That's pure Midsummer Night's Dream. And we have the last question, I think. Thank you so much for making my childhood and my adulthood kind of my life. Um, what enter you've kind of been the entertainment for my life. What is the entertainment for your life? Because, you know, what entertains um, the entertainer? Uh, <laughs> and who watches uh, those guys who are looking at people? Um, I uh, honestly, Shakespeare, comic books, Barvel comic books, Sondheim. Um, you know, all the things that you would expect. Dickens, uh, no, nobody with any subtlety. <laughs> I just, I will not have it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned the Coen brothers already, and I obviously was 11 when Star Wars came out, so I'm not immune to that at all. I'm a huge science fiction buff. And, um, you know, uh, anything that I get my hands on has the potential to entertain me. Um, because, I mean, I, I do think that's really the essence of being a creator. You, you can't, if you limit yourself, you're, you know, it'll start to show. Because what we're all doing is, um, stealing. Um, you know, we're, we're reinterpreting what we've experienced. Or, in my case, what we've read or seen. Because I don't actually experience things, that sounds hard. So um, those are, those are the, the big headlines, but really, you know, it, what's exciting is, is the stuff you don't see coming. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, like the college course that you took on a whim that you'll never forget. Those, those are the things that, that really help. After you guys see Much Ado About Nothing, uh, you'll probably want to come back in a few years after Avengers 2. Um, we should all meet here to talk about his next Shakespeare film. Is that all right? Yeah. We'll all be here. Thank you so much. House Thank five. You, five? Or should it be five for 530? <laughs>